0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Campus Hunger Project Podcast, where we examine the current issues college students are facing when it comes to food insecurity. I'm your host, Monica Sager. Today we are talking with David Kopish, who serves as the Associate Director of Community Engagement and the Director of Strategic Partnerships at the Hope Center for College Community and Justice through Temple University. Welcome, David.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Of course. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and why the issue of food insecurity is so important to you?
1: Sure. Uh, well, first, thanks again for for having me here. We really, really appreciate the chance to, uh, to, to share with you. You know, I have been in Philadelphia since I came here for grad school uh, in 1992, so it's been a long time. And I think back and I came here to go to Temple, actually, to get a master's degree in social work. And I think about some of the experiences that led me to that decision, which have led to where I am you know, now, almost uh, 30 years later. And I, I think about experiences actually when I was in high school, what were sort of church-based service projects. Uh, I grew up in suburban New Jersey in a pretty affluent part of northern New Jersey, not not far from New York City. And I remember the, the sort of bubble uh, of my upbringing uh, popped when I had some experiences in uh, Newark, New Jersey and at the Port Authority Bus Terminal in New York City, which at the time, this is in the 80s, and this is at a time when the homeless uh, situation in our country really was at a crisis point. It was before most of the systems and organizations uh, that we have um, Come to rely on to address homelessness were in place, and so it was, it was, uh, it was a very tough time for for folks who were homeless uh, in this country, and and in, and in New York City, you know, dramatically so. So I remember being exposed uh, to going to you know food uh, kitchen type places and and feeding uh, programs as a teenager, and literally it was like the veil had been lifted, you know, in terms of the realities that uh, so many people in our country were, and, and literally right down the road from where I was living, were, were, were dealing with. And so, you know, I think those early experiences of being face-to-face with folks who did not have enough tea, did not know where their next meal were going to come from, and and just sort of being really moved by that, shaped a lot of my my thinking uh, moving forward and, and eventually led me to want to end up going back to school and, and getting a degree in social work. My first job, actually, after undergrad, I went to Rutgers University in New Jersey, I was a VISTA volunteer, which is now kind of part of the AmeriCorps program. And I worked at a place called Food Lifeline, similar to what I would say, maybe fill Abundance here in Philadelphia it was a, a large network of food distribution, food bank supplier. And that experience kind of built on, you know, my early experiences as a teenager, and just sort of thinking about the systems that are in place or that we have put in place to fill the gap. Sort of how elaborate the the system had to be to to um, make sure that enough people got enough food to eat, side of the for profit food system. And I was determined to, like many students, right, kind of. Be self-supportive i had a rude awakening there in terms of how much it really takes to go to school full-time and support yourself and, and live uh, on your own and um i remember making a decision to to try to apply for what was then still called food stamps which is now called snap uh and i remember going through my own experiences of shame and guilt and doubt in terms of you know well, why should i have to do this or Am I, I'm certainly not as needy as so many other people. Should I even bother with this. You know, it was embarrassing to go to the, to the public assistance office. With, and it ended up not working out. Um, and it's interesting because we're working on SNAP issues now. And I have no idea how that system worked <laughs> as a 22-year-old, 23-year-old. Uh, and it ended up not working out. And I wasn't eligible for some reason. And I remember very, being very frustrated with that. And, you know, again, those, those early experiences as a young person, I think, really shaped much of the work that I'm involved with today.
0: And going off of that, can you tell us a little bit about the work that you do at the Hope Center?
1: The Hope Center is what we call an action research center. We are based at Temple University. We are part of the medical school there. And the research that we do is an analysis of, we call, experiences of basic needs insecurity among college students. And what we mean by that is food insecurity, housing insecurity, homelessness, as well as other things like struggles affording childcare, struggles with transportation costs, et cetera. And how we study these things is through a national survey that that the Hope Center has been doing for five years. And over those five years, I think about 400,000 students at close to 500 schools around the country have taken this survey. We call it the Real College Survey. And from that survey data, we produce reports showing overall levels of food and housing insecurity and homelessness among students. And then we produce reports for individual colleges. So we get colleges to agree to field the survey so that we have a you know a sizable pool from each college so that we can say with some certainty to that college, this is the percentage of students in your school who are experiencing these things. So then we take that data and we sit down with them if we can, or if they are interested in kind of doing uh, more with the data. And, and we, we sort of look at, well, what are some things in place here on campus that do try to address these things, right? What could be strengthened? What else could you try? What's working? What's not working? A lot of technical assistance to colleges, again, helping them think through strategies, helping them implement what seem to be best practices from other schools. And then we do policy advocacy. So, you know, we know that colleges can only do so much in terms of addressing these issues and we know that at some level there's got to be public policy we will uh, often um, produce policy papers policy recommendations and then try to engage policymakers to say you know hey here are some things you should be looking at uh, as you address this issue so sometimes it's reactive so sometimes there'll be something that is moving through a state legislature or a federal in congress and we say, oh, we better try to insert ourselves here because it looks like this bill is going to not be good for students. So let's offer, you know, our our research and our and our data. Other times, it's more proactive. You know, if if we might try to approach a legislator uh, directly and say, hey, you know, here's here's something you may want to consider introducing. And and my role in particular as community engagement. Uh, point person is to try to build connections with groups that, generally speaking, outside of higher education. So, uh, again, we we believe that while colleges and universities can do more and should do more uh, in terms of uh, addressing these issues, we know they can't do it alone, and we also know that policymakers aren't, oh, you know, going to do everything that we would like them to do. So, we we try to engage community groups. We try to again on the food insecurity side. Um, in particular, here in Philadelphia, we're engaging groups like Fill Abundance, Sharing Excess, uh, Holla for Hunger, obviously, uh, national groups like Swipe Out Hunger, um, other local groups like Coalition Against Hunger and Community Legal Services that does work around SNAP. So my role is, is to try to engage those groups that are outside of higher ed to see, you know, can, can we form partnerships here? Can we introduce colleges to community groups that are working in these areas that could be helpful to them?
0: You covered a few different things that I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Specifically with the research, have you seen that there is much support for food insecure students on college campuses?
1: I would say yes, and then also it it depends, right? So I would say that there is a spectrum of how developed a school's infrastructure is and, and, well knowledge, commitment to, and, and infrastructure to address food insecurity. I, there's all kinds of reasons for that. Some of it is resources. Some of it is they they—they literally didn't know some schools that this was an issue on campus. That's becoming less of so, I think, which is testament to all the groups that are doing this kind of work. We've made it more public knowledge that this is real. Uh, but, you know, there we still have schools who are very shocked when we, um, them the survey results when they see that 30% of their students have had some food insecurity issue in the past 30 days. Most of my time at the Hope Centers is with a project that we call Real College Philadelphia. We're working with a set of 10 or 11 colleges in the city who have agreed to take the survey once or twice, two years in a row, and are engaged with us in looking at how they're addressing these issues and what they could do better. So it's great very committed colleges. And again, they're all across the spectrum, in terms of how how developed their systems are. So you have places like Community College of Philadelphia, right, has what is called a single stop program. So single stop is a national organization, which has a model for putting a multi service sort of hub in a college so that students can go and get you know, one stop um, for anything from Food resources, legal resources, um, housing issues. The idea is that you know any any particular any issue that a student might face outside of academics could be could be addressed there. I'll say a place like Community College of Philadelphia would, would be on the higher end, right? They have a lot lot of lot of commitment, a lot of resources there. Still, the need is greater than what they they address often, but there is a lot. There's a lot there. Uh, LaSalle University just opened a single stop program last year. So they're building that out, which is great. They have a partnership with a local food bank, I believe, in that neighborhood, uh, West Oak Lane area, where they um, uh, are working to, to make sure students can can get access to that if they need it. Places like Drexel University really has ramped up their infrastructure to deal with these issues. The, the student-led organization Sharing Excess came out of Drexel started with recovering leftover food at at events on campus and getting them to students in need and it's really blossomed into a much larger operation then they have staff that are dedicated to basic needs now at, at Drexel so I think you know most schools at least have someone in their student affairs department right who can point people to things like the food pantry on campus right signing up for snap maybe although we're finding that it's very complicated a lot of colleges don't quite know how to help navigate yeah many schools now have a meal swipe program that tend to be on the small side compared to the need but it is something so it really depends but i would say you know in the five years that we've been doing our, our survey the the rates of food insecurity remain pretty consistently high Thirty to forty plus percent, depending on what kind of school, and so it it, it tells us that while a lot of schools really are, are doing a lot and and dedicated to that to that issue, there's there's still a big portion of of students who still experience food insecurity. So it, it tells us there's a lot more to do.
0: Is there any hope for the schools that are doing zero or barely? Yes, anything?
1: there's always hope. We we call ourselves the Hope Center for for a reason even in my short time, I have seen a movement and and growth in schools that were just beginning to look at this issue. And I think the pandemic, right, clearly kind of took the lid off of this problem that I think was largely much more hidden and unknown than it is now, right? And so in some ways, the, the, the pandemic had the positive effect of making this uh, issue impossible to ignore. Schools see uh, dealing with or addressing basic needs among students is tied to en- enrollment. They're starting, if they haven't already, to, to see that, right? That they, they now, especially right during the pandemic when enrollment was really down in 2020, I think they see we won't hold on to students or we won't get them back if we don't address these issues.
0: Well, a part of that commitment, as well as a way to get resources, is through policy and um, new petitions, which I know that you mentioned is one aspect of the work that the Hope Center does. Can you talk to how students or recent graduates going into this field, or really any form of advocacy, can do this, get in touch with the people who are making the laws? Really, what do you suggest that somebody does?
1: Sure. Well, definitely connect to an organization. Doing individual contacting of, of policymakers is, is good, but, you know, definitely connect with an organization. So uh, Holla for Hunger, obviously doing a lot of great work in this area. The, the Fuel Higher Ed campaign, I'll, you know, I'll definitely want to commend you all for that work. And it's certainly a place to plug in if you're a student. You know, there are other national student organizations that do advocacy in this area, right? Again, Swipe Out Hunger doing a lot of work in this area. The the, uh, the organization RISE does a focus is advocacy. From what I'm seeing, student governments can also be pretty active and effective advocates in this area. From what I understand, the meal swipe programs that are in place across the country have, have basically all been... Student-driven uh, campaigns, which can be very a very complicated situation. It it does take organized, long-term commitment to move something like a meal swipe program, because of all the administrative hurdles dealing with the food service provider on campus and contracts that they have with the school and et cetera, et cetera. But it is it obviously is possible, and and it's been done. So. I think if we're talking about state or federal policy, a couple things come to mind. One is we get this all the time at the Hope Center. So we will, we will put out a, um, pour it on a, on a survey and we'll, we'll get a lot of press uh, inquiries. We'll, we'll get a lot of press attention. However, more and more, uh, or maybe this has always been the case, but it seems like I've been noticing more. They want to know a student story, right? They want to know, quoting some researchers is one thing, but they feel, and they're they're right, that the story is more compelling and maybe might have more impact if there are students telling that story themselves. You know, students should keep that in mind. It might feel as a student, you know, uh, what you know, what power do we really have, and you know, that kind of thing. And and I think on this issue in particular, I think the student voice is very is very powerful. Students in alliance with faculty and staff of those of those institutions can wield a lot of influence because um again they they sometimes are one of the few economic uh, engines in those rural areas if they can make the case that the health of those institutions is largely dependent on a enrollment b keeping students there and and helping them meet their basic needs. Otherwise they will leave uh, and they'll take their tuition money and, and everything else with them. I think there's something there to dive into a little bit, a little bit more. There's a set of policymakers that are naturally inclined to supporting these issues. And then there's a set of policymakers who are not. And I think our ch- challenge is to how, how do we get to the the ones who are not inclined? And I think we have to think about economic arguments as part of part of this, right? That do work with student-led groups and we want to support them, but we also wanted to get a more intentional uh, feedback from students. And so we, we created something called a Student Leadership Advisory Council from colleges that we've had some relationship with where we've done our survey or where we know that the president's doing good work around basic needs and that they nominated students from their from their student body to serve on the student leadership advisory committee, these group of students, all of whom have had issues with, with these basic needs in their own in their own lives to, to sort of inform our work and to tell us as researchers and and advocates, how we should be talking about these issues, you know, how we should be conveying these things to students, how are students responding to the data that we put out, should we be putting it out in a different way or talk, you know, so that's, that is also another way, I think, um, for students to to play a role.
0: I definitely appreciate that you mentioned the student voice. Not only is that one thing that this podcast is trying to do, but also I feel like it's left out most of the time, um, and mm-hmm. it's definitely an important aspect that, like you mentioned. So almost a philosophical question next. Sure. I know that you've done work beyond the HOPE Center previously with POWER, the Women's Community Revitalization Project. And while they might not be specifically about food insecurity, obviously a lot of the issues all are intertwined. Why is it so important for nonprofits to be doing this work and pushing it for the government to do something about it?
1: The short answer is because very few others are. So someone has to, if we're talking about student hunger, there's the colleges themselves, right? They have a role in pushing these issues and they have a role in addressing them absolutely. And many of them are, and there are college presidents who have become champions for these things. But again, they're limited, right? Uh, If they are public institutions, their hands are particularly tied when it comes to, you know, actively lobbying for a particular piece of legislation uh, that would deal with these issues, right? And so they have limitations. Um, Sector of elected officials, you know, again, you've got some champions. So that leaves a lot of space and a lot of need in terms of, well, who's really pushing these issues, in general, uh, my experience, and I think the experience of our of our country right shows that, you know, these things, systems don't really change policies don't really change, unless there is some from below that's, that's agitating for it, that's pushing for it, right? So that's that's kind of a, a simple way to look at it, but I think that is the true. So I think student, again, organized students, um, the nonprofit sector, with, with, without them pushing and without them filling the void, frankly, we'd be in much worse shape. If you didn't have the nonprofit sector, you'd have worse food insecurity, you'd have worse hunger.
0: Absolutely. But well, that can also be an empowering type of position to be in as well. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I've seen so many, um, you know, just regular folks who got together in the right way and made the right strategy and and got amazing things done without a lot of resources, whether it was on a campus, getting something in place or getting getting a law passed. So absolutely, Um, it's it seems daunting. It also seems very frustrating given our political system. And after a year of, you know, what seemed like a crazy, dysfunctional political system, I imagine it feels very daunting or or dispiriting to students or to young people or anybody really that anything can get done. But uh, I'm privileged to be interacting with groups every day and people every day, pretty much who are getting stuff done despite all that, you know, And, and, and don't let that stop them. You know, don't let the, how corrupt the system might seem or feel or is, you know, doesn't don't, they don't let that stop them. Right. And that gives me hope. And I hope.
0: Well, that right there is a great way to wrap it all up, but is there any final <laughs> takeaway that you'd like to leave with our audience?
1: By the time listeners hear this, we might be in a different situation, but at the time of recording this, we have an opportunity all throughout this year, a a real opportunity around helping students access uh, SNAP benefit. College students generally have had a hard time accessing SNAP because the rules around who is eligible have been very complicated. And generally, if you were a more than half-time student, it was hard to access SNAP for all kinds of complicated reasons. We can do more in that area. And this year, under the pandemic, there is some new loosening of some of those rules that could, I've heard estimates of up to 3 million more students could possibly get access to SNAP during this time. So I I would encourage people to look into the two main rule changes for the time being are uh, work-study eligibility. So if a student is work-study eligible, even if they don't have a work-study job, because a lot of those jobs are now not in place because of campus closures but if you are eligible alone that could uh, make one snap uh, eligible if some other things are in place that that was not always the case then that that is that is the case now the other big change is if a student has a zero efc from their fafsa there's a lot of Resources out there to explain these things in more depth and in and more clearly than I might have. But part of what we're going to try to do is advocate that these things be made permanent, that they should not go away when the pandemic passes. That these things really will help students uh, and are needed, uh, not just in an emergency, but always. So I think uh, spread the word on that. And the other point I would just say, going back to our thing about hope and inspiration, you know, again, there's there's a lot of great work being done out there. I, again, I want to applaud uh, Hala for Hunger and, and your work. Uh, I would just encourage students to, to look first on their campus of who, who's doing what around food insecurity and and then check in with one of these national groups because uh, is uh, so much to be done and the student voice is so critical. We need you. So come join the movement.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for talking with us today, David. I learned a lot myself. I hope our audience did as well. I greatly appreciate you talking about the work that the HOPE Center does, the research, the advocacy side, and really just the power of hope in the story that we can all tell together. So thank you again for joining.
1: Absolutely. My pleasure. And I hope uh, this was helpful for folks. And if you want to learn more about our work, uh, HOPE for College, HOPE. Number four college.com is our direct uh, website, hopeforcollege.com. Great.
0: Thanks well, again I mean,
1: and uh, keep up your great work.
0: <laughs> Thank you. I'm, make sure that you all check out that website. That's it for today. I'm Monica Sager and this is the Campus Hunger Project podcast. Make sure to tune in next week for more episodes.